Welcome to the Media Careers Podcast. My name is Carrie Wooten, and through this podcast, we're going to be speaking to people from across the media industry to learn about their education, their career paths, and their job roles. We'll discover what has motivated them and led them to undertake a career in the industry and what has kept them working within it. Where we can, we'll show as many links to organisations and individuals who can support and guide you through your journey into the media industry. We really hope you enjoy this series. One of the critical aims of this podcast is to ensure that we cover the breadth of roles that there are across the media industry. And I think today's conversation is going to delve into a role that perhaps we haven't considered too much when we think of a media job. Jonathan Code is a crisis PR lawyer, and we will find out exactly what that means as we go through our conversation today. He is active for numerous high profile individuals and companies, and he's also an editorial lawyer who is active for publishers and for broadcasters. Jonathan studied at Clifton College Bristol before graduating from Jesus College Cambridge with an MA in law. His career has seen him work at renowned companies such as Shillings and Lewis Silking through to his current role where he's the founder of Code Law. Jonathan is also seen on UK and global news channels commentating on high profile media stories. Jonathan, welcome to the Media Careers podcast. I'm delighted to have been invited. No, well, thank you for joining us. So with our podcast series, we always start at the beginning so we can find out a bit about your journey through education and then into your career so let's let's start at the beginning what were you what were you like as a child were you academic or were you not did you enjoy school let's yeah find out a bit about what you were like as a young person I think I was quite a timid child um my my parents moved around not a lot but enough for me to not feel as though I'd sort of settled into a community or settled into a school okay. And I, the, the, I was at, um, I think Clifton College was the third school that I went to, not that I was expelled. But um, <laughs> so so Clifton College was the place where I sort of found stability. And I was I was kind of neither fish nor fowl. I, I was reasonably academic. Okay. I was reasonably sporty and I was reasonably music, musical, okay. but I wasn't particularly good at any three so I wasn't quite in any of the sort of music sport or academic crowd crowd crowds I sort of you know fell between the cracks yeah okay so did you did you have any inkling when you I suppose maybe in secondary school about media or law had you kind of started to think about where you might end up as a career when you were kind of bouncing between these three areas and doing okay at all of them well, do you know, I didn't carry. And, no, and no reason, lots of people don't. This is good. <laughs> well, well the, well, the reason is that I, I was born about 200 yards from Jesus College, Cambridge. My mum and dad lived and worked in Cambridge at the time. Uh, and I'm told that on my arrival at home in a Moses basket, my dad looked down into the Moses basket, ba- basket and decreed that when I was 18, I would go to Jesus College and study law, which indeed is what happened. So Amazing. I was literally born to be a lawyer in a yeah. fairly scary sort of way. And, <laughs> and for that reason, I di- didn't ask myself during my school time what I wanted to do because I'd been told what to do. OK, so family really influenced your decisions and it was well, almost the, the, like you were going to fulfil that pro- pro- prophecy. I, I don't think influenced is quite the word. I would, <laughs> use, I would use determined. Okay. <laughs> And I didn't, I lacked the the moral courage to stand up to him and say, well, actually, Dad, you know, I wouldn't mind playing some role in a decision, 
as to where I, what's going to happen. And in yeah, fact, yeah. what happened is I'm, I'm remembering this now as you asked me. Mm. So first of all, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to make a mess of my A levels, and if of course if I make a mess of my A levels, I can't go to university or I can't um, get into a university to do a law degree because obviously getting into do a law degree is sometimes was well it's more difficult than other other degrees mm-hmm. and then I thought well I'll mess up my degree so that means that <laughs> at that point I don't have to stand up to my father I'll just <laughs> fall out naturally and that I didn't mess up my degree so um okay but but, but it, you know I, I I was a reluctant lawyer and had as you were kind of going through university had the media industry filtered on your radar at that point or was it just solely focused on traditional what we think of traditional law well two reasons first of all again all those years ago I mean and one of the reasons why this is such a wonderful idea of yours to do these podcasts I didn't even know there was there was any role for lawyers in the media I suppose if I'd sat down and thought about it I would have realized there was but in fact that the media needs lawyers uh, and there are plenty of them in the media and, and the, the work that they do is normally spectacularly interesting and fun. I was always going to be a criminal lawyer. And the reason for that was that my dad was a probation officer. So he always imagined that I would work in the, in the criminal courts. He would take me down and I, I took me to a magistrate's court, which is extraordinary. I, I mean, if you want to go to an extraordinary experience, go to your local magistrate's court on a Monday morning where they do all the weekend's disasters. Oh, it's just wonderful, like a scene out of a TV programme. So then what happened? Why did you not then continue down that path? So in my third year, I had perhaps a breakdown, putting it too strongly, a, a mild breakdown, okay. where I, I just found that I couldn't go on working as hard as I, as, as I did. Okay. And that created a, a crisis because I, I knew that the reason for that was that I just didn't want to be a lawyer. And I didn't I didn't want to do the degree either. And you can only go on sort of walking against the wind for a certain time. Mm -hmm. So what then happened is I thought, right, well, what would I really like to do? And the answer was I'd like to be a musician. So I decided during the course of that year that although I had finished my degree after that, I set out to be a professional rock musician. Okay. well. I, became, I was such a successful rock, rock musician, Carrie. <laughs> that you I was are- being to a lawyer. <laughs> I love that. I, I spectacularly <laughs> failed to make a living doing this. I mean, I loved the music that we played. I was one of the writers and I sort of produced the music. And um, But, you know, did we ever make our way successfully in the music industry? No, we didn't. <laughs> so, so what then happened was that I had a law degree from a respectable university yeah and then I had a music career of sorts although spectacularly unsuccessful (laughs) which completely mashed up my CV yeah so then I thought well I wonder if there's such a thing as an entertainment lawyer turned out that there is such a thing as entertainment amazing and I discovered that there were specialist entertainment law firms it was the time of the the Lawson boom and everybody weirdly wanted the highest listers I mean how strange is that <laughs> um, and so it was a, an easy time to get a, a training contract and I was very fortunate to get one in a city firm but also had a media department because that meant that I was sort of 
had two chances, so to speak. Uh-huh. And then I was put in a partner who was a who was a TV lawyer. I mean, how blessed was I? Was with a lady who's still a good friend of mine, who did television work, and she did defamation and privacy uh-huh. work in the television industry and acted for for broadcasters. Well, I thought it was all my birthdays, Christmases rolled into one. <laughs> and, and, why and, was, I, and why was that so exciting for you? What was it that made it like that you were like, this is, well, this is for um, me? So, well, first of all, television industry in particular. So broadly speaking, Carrie, my career has been to act for the TV industry and defend the TV industry and sue the print press. So it, it, simplifying my my career greatly, mm. that's that's what I've done. Yeah. Now, um, Susan Aslan, who to whom I owe a great deal, uh, had two excellent clients. Uh, she had Channel Four as a client, and so she had Thames Television, which was then the London commercial franchise. And whenever they got sued, that she would defend them and uh, defending. Uh, defamation claims is, is often involves a lot of investigation and a lot of sort of detective work. How much fun is that? A lot of and fun, also, I imagine. A lot of fun. <laughs> but also sometimes going to some uh, locations outside London and to, to investigate what what's happened and also to take witness statements. So one of my first memories I I, I recall, and Channel 4 is a fantastic client. They fight their corner hard the the best the most hoot and root and toot and shooting uh, legal department in amongst the broadcasters is Channel Four and I since then I've both acted for them and against them and one of the privileges I have is defending good journalism good public interest journalism it's the most exciting thing to do I can't tell you it's brilliant work I knew I wanted to be a media lawyer and the Rolls Royce firm at the time in fact pretty probably still the Rolls Royce firms a firm called Shillings yeah now your, your youngsters probably won't have heard of Shillings but they will know uh probably the Johnny Depp defamation claim yeah I would have thought so con- con- yeah. Shillings conducted that and they will also know the Meghan Markle copyright privacy claim mm-hmm. Shillings conducted that okay so they they have an absolutely breathtaking client base is because we're a great firm so I applied for a job at Shillings now what they were wanting was someone was two year two or three years qualified well I thought you know nothing ventured nothing gained so somehow I managed to get an interview and I was interviewed by Keith Schilling himself because the, the job was being his assistant uh, now I had the slight advantage that I was a mature, mature applicant you know I'd, I'd had these years as a musician so I wasn't 21 I was 28 or 29 or something like that mm-hmm. so that gave me a slight difference secondly I had a well I had a sort of three three dimensional CV thirdly I knew a little bit about the entertainment industry and I'd also you know be very lucky with my training contract but the, the, I'll tell you what got me the job and you know I'm not sure whether this is necessarily a good interview tip or not <laughs> go on go for it the shillings reputation was was the last man standing most hoot and root and tootin tough guy law firm on the planet and that's way Keith did litigation. Litigation in the media world is sort of like the legal equivalent of cage fighting. It's it can be very very tough. And Keith was a legend because he just took on everybody in one. He was an extraordinarily gifted litigator. Mm-hmm. Not an easy boss to work for, but an amazing gifted litigator. 
So during the course, during in the latter part of the interview, I had done all my homework. And when he asked me about legal questions, fortunately, I, I got them right. I cannot tell you how important it is to prepare for an interview. Don't ever go to an interview without doing your online research, finding out about the company, what they do. And I'd done a bit of that. But but there came a point where Keith quite pointedly disagreed with something that I said. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But I mean, I'm a fighting lawyer. But you can't do my work unless there's a, a fighter in you. Uh-huh. Because otherwise, you, I mean, if you fight newspapers and banks, which I have for years, it's not for the faint hearted. It really is not. No. Anyway, so I stood my ground and I said, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't agree with that. I, you know, I, I think the position is this. Now, I think that's when I got the job. Because yeah, I think what Keith was testing is whether I was I had the, the moral courage to stand my ground. Anyway, yeah. to my amazement. Uh, you know, three or four days later, I got a letter. Oh, no, he rang me up. That's right. He rang me up, told me I got the job. Amazing. I, I, mean, I, just, I was walking on air, absolutely walking on air. And, where, um, where do you think you get that strength of character from? Because you're right, because obviously in this world, you do need that, right? You do need that resilience and, and strength to fight, as you say. Where, do you think you always had that, or was that learned behaviour? I think it came from my mum and dad. Yeah. Um, yeah my, my dad would stand up. To anybody, he was the most extraordinarily courageous man. Mm. Very tough too. Yeah. And one of the pivotal moments of my life, oddly enough, was when I finally stood up to him, which I needed to do. It was a very important part of my growth from a child into a man. I sat down, Dad. I'm. I know you're not going to want to hear this, but I'm sorry, but I, I'm not going to be a lawyer anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do, be a musician. Now that took all the courage that I had in me to do that, mm-hmm. but of course. I grew. Um, now, my mum was also no shrinking violet either. My mum, during the Second World War, was a motorbike distracts dispatch rider. And she went between London and the South Coast delivering secret D-Day orders. Wow. I mean, how about that on yeah. a motorbike? So, you know, my mum was pretty tough cookie as well. Yeah. But then I think, oddly enough, that, I mean, the, the music industry is it's also not for the faint-hearted. And uh, that toughened me up a bit as well. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, and that, and I suppose that process of not your career and your music industry not being as successful as you wanted it to be probably built that, continue to build that resilience as well. It, yeah, yeah, it did. You have to take, yeah. you know, a lot of hard knocks if you're as unsuccessful as I was. <laughs> There was a lot to do with my mum and dad's character in me as well. Yeah, amazing. Explain to me the difference then between the media lawyer and your role and job title now, which is around PR crisis. Are they the same thing or is there a difference? Could you explain a little bit about that and and that that trajectory as well? Yeah, that's a very good question, Carrie. And the the species we now call a PR lawyer is, well, to some extent... I've sort of invented it. Okay. Uh, that sounds terribly vain, but I, I think I, I think that's actually true. And let me let me try and answer your excellent question. So, in one sense, uh, that's what Shillings did. Their typical client was a film star, pop star, Premiership footballer, or even royalty. I've done work for three members of the royal family. I've done work for the, for. David and Victoria Beckham. I've done work for Lady Gaga. So, you know, we we really did do A-listers and we did some, not quite A-listers as well, but we did yeah. some serious A-listers. Yeah. Fleet Street, the, the, the newspaper industry that we have, 
as we've seen with, with Hugh Edwards, as just before Hugh Edwards, Philip Schofield, who, who who is my client, I did all Philip Schofield's work. Mm-hmm. Life as an A-lister means that at some stage, a tabloid newspaper is going to come and get you. We both protected the reputation and the privacy of A-listers. Mm-hmm. There came a point about two, two, three years ago, for various reasons, I'm, I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've learned enough now that I think I can do this on my own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've been in Lewis Silkin's big firm, very good firm. But, you know, when you're a partner there, you've got partners meetings, strategy meetings, budgeting meetings, meetings about meetings, which I hate. I love the job. I hate the admin. Yeah. Which is not quite true. I did enjoy training juniors. Anyway, so I set up my little law firm, which is you're looking at it. Yeah, you are the law firm. I am it. I have my little website. I blog a lot. I absolutely love doing that. So all through the Hugh Edwards thing, I've been blogging. I'm I'm on LinkedIn. Mm. And incidentally, guys, you know, uh, if you're thinking of a, a, well, any professional career, then LinkedIn, which is essentially Facebook for business, get onto LinkedIn. One of the things that prompted me to do this, a lot of my work comes from big big PR companies, corporate clients, include Amazon, GlaxoSmithKline, Jaguar Land Rover, uh, Procter & Gamble. And sometimes they have their own serious PR issues. And in fact, although acting for Saxon celebrities is great fun and sometimes is absolutely hilarious, it's actually also quite hard work. Yeah. You're you're helping often an individual out in in a time of intense crisis. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's quite draining. Yeah. But, you know, when I'm doing work for Procter Gamble or Jaguar, no one's going to die, if you see what I mean. Another big divide in PR between the, the lawyers and the PR people. And I thought, well, that's a bit of a false distinction, really, um, because the, the two really ought to be working very close together. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I, I think there's a gap in the market here. So I'm going to stick my neck out and find out if I'm right. Yeah. So I right from the get go, I positioned myself and called myself a PR lawyer. I offer a a more sort of holistic, three dimensional service. I mean, I've I've worked very hard over the thirty years I I've doing doing this to establish very good relationships with the newspapers as best I can. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, if I can get an outcome from my client without going in all guns blazing, then that's better. Yeah. Because it, A, it's cheaper, B, it's quicker, and C, most of my clients have a symbiotic relationship with the, with the, with, with the media. So, they, you know, there's got to be give and take. So if I can find a, a solution with a national newspaper which doesn't involve the bloodletting, yeah. then I've not damaged their relationship. Or if I have damaged it, only to a tiny degree, but normally I've, I've managed not to damage the relationship. Now, they all know if, if you want to have a toe-to-toe fight with me that's fine I'll have a fight but do you know what do we have to have a fight you know yeah. because Let's there not may get be a, an outcome that we can both live with so anyway so I set out two and a half years ago as it now is to see whether I could sort of invent a new species called a PR lawyer well it turns out that I can you obviously know you've got the skill sets and the knowledge in terms of you know the legal regulations and what you need to do but that kind of public profile of yourself did that come naturally or was that something that you had to learn because I think that's obviously a critical part of your role as a PR lawyer it 
it's essential yeah. as a PR lawyer for, for a number of reasons. It's essential. I mean, I am one of these sad individuals who finds the whole business of law fascinating. The law of defamation, privacy and copyright. I've done a lot of copyright work as well. Yeah. Absolutely fascinates me. Now, I, I also I have something of a passion to see better regulation of our print press. Now, I could take an hour to explain why I feel that, but it's mm. a lot to do with the fact that I've, I've well, they, they drove Caroline Flack to suicide. Uh, they've driven Hugh Edwards into a psychiatric hospital. Mm. You know, they have smashed up the lives of too many people. So whenever I've had the opportunity to speak out about the excesses of Fleet Street, I've taken it. Mm -hmm. So over the last two or three days, I've, I think I've done about 20 interviews about the radio and television interviews that so people would be sick of the size to be. Obviously, if you're a PR lawyer, it helps build the brand. Yeah. If you're if you know if you're on BBC News or Sky News or GB News or whatever, it does help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now. If you're um, a contentious lawyer in the area of defamation pr privacy, you're also an advocate, a persuader. Now, I used to do quite a lot of court work for short hearings. The longest hearing I, I ever did was a day, but that was unusual. Normally, I do an hour or a couple of hours or half a day or whatever. And that, that is brilliant, brilliant training. It's just you, a judge. For now, I've had a king's counsel against me. I did one hearing that was a king's counsel a junior barrister and solicitors again. So actually I've done more than one hearing like that. Um, and those and those times it's because my client hasn't had any money. So, I, you know, there's just me. So they'd only be able to fund me. Um, so that has helped. But my mum was an actress. Um, ah, and okay. <laughs> uh, so the, the kind of enjoyment of, of being in front of people comes from that. And then, of course, I was a I was the front man of a band mm -hmm. unsuccessfully, but that means you're <laughs> engaging with the audience um, and you can't, you know, be a sh shrinking violet. I think it's a combination of those things. But the other thing yeah. is this, is that the law industry is very competitive and clients don't fall into your lap. Well, if, you're, if you've been doing it a very long time like I have and you've established your own brand, then clients do start to fall into your lap. Mm -hmm. But to get to that point, you've got to go out and win clients. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're selling your services just as anybody else sells their wares, be it, you know, motor cars or houses. In my case, I've got to persuade people that I know what I'm doing and I'll fight their corner hard. That is particularly for a 21st century lawyer, it is essential. And when you're applying for a job, they're going to look not only at whether you're competent, you're, you're going to look at three things, really, whether you're a competent lawyer, which is important, but by no means enough. Secondly, you're going to interact well with clients, be personable, which is vitally important. And thirdly, when 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 you're perhaps two or three years qualified, you can go into a situation, you can win a client. One American lawyer said, you know, a, a good meeting is where I go in with one client and I come out with two. <laughs> Um, so, you know, you, you you will be expected as you get more senior to, to bring clients in. So the sooner you start practicing doing it, the better. Yeah, amazing. Um, so final question for you, Jonathan. If there's anyone listening to this podcast, it's like, OK, this is sounding like me. This is what I think I could become a media lawyer, PR lawyer. 
I've got that fighting spirit. I think I'm good with people. I think that I could, I'm interested in law and, you know, and litigation. What are your top tips for someone that's thinking about getting into this industry? What, what should they be thinking about? Okay. Top tips. Yeah. One is, is very competitive, Carrie, you know, for, for understandable reasons, there's an, there are a lot of people who want to do this kind of work. So it's a terribly dull place to start, but you need to really, really concentrate on your studies and come out with good academics because you're not even going to get an interview. So you need to work really hard, get a good set of labels and come out with a, with a good degree. Okay. The second thing you need to do is you need to be looking and learning as much as you can about the media industry. You need to be sucking it in, you know, going on to, to websites, reading industry magazines, um, reading books about, for, about you know, how to make television programs, how to make films, you know, books about the music industry. You need to be a sponge and try and learn as much as you can because industry knowledge is essential. And it's no good turning up at an interview saying, oh, I've always really wanted to be a, an entertainment lawyer. And they will say, well, where's where's that on the CV? Where is the, you know, the work experience working for Paramount or work experience working for EMI Records or work experience? You know, you need to 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 show on this. You need to fight your way in, you know, find that way you can do work experience. But I mean, you do, you've got to you've really got to. I mean, this is a whole door you've got to bang on mm. and one of the things that you'll show if you if you have a cv where you've got in and done these things is you've got a bit about you because yeah. they will know i will know blimey they've got a you know two month um slot working for paramount pictures i mean you're going to have a bit about you to do that yeah so you've got to start building a cv as early as you can so much information in there um Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. That was absolutely fascinating. And I've learned loads as well. And um, good luck with continuing Code Law. And uh, yeah, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. And guys, I really, really wish you well. Um, yeah, If you really put your mind to it, then there's no reason why you can't get into the business being a media law. And it is it's tremendous fun. Amazing. Thank you.